question just occurred to me. How many of you, you sit pretty much in the exact same seat every week? Can I see your hands? Yeah, why do we do that? I want to challenge you. Next week, sit in the opposite place than what you, but you would be uncomfortable doing that, wouldn't you? We're all so different, and yet we're all so much alike. Uh, Were we to start sharing our stories, we would find that we came from different places and different backgrounds. We've had uh, all kind of unique experiences, and and everyone's life, when you get a chance to hear it, this is one thing I've had the privilege of learning, it is just awesome. Everybody's life is spectacular once you get to really hear who they are and where they've been and what they go through. So we're very different, but we're an awful lot alike as well. If you were to gather a thousand people together, just average people, you know, not necessarily church people, but just average group of people, gather a thousand people, uh, put them into a room somewhere and ask them this question. What does it look like when somebody's blessed? What, what, what is a life that's blessed? What, what does it look like? What might be some of the features of it? Now, this is just a thousand random people. I suspect we hear things like, well, you're blessed if you're intelligent and attractive and talented and gifted. And if you're popular, you're well-liked, you have a lot of friends, you have great relationships, great family, great friends. You have a successful career that you like. You have, you know, resources to do what you want when you want. You're able to experience things, whatever you want to experience in life. You're you're blessed. You're blessed. Most of us would probably uh, agree with that. There's nothing, you know, too contrary about that. I think we'd also agree that that random group of people, thousand people, if we were to say, would, would blessed ever look like this? Would blessed ever look like being rejected, being unwanted, uh, being persecuted unjustly, being slandered, made fun of, mocked, uh, being dissatisfied. Would, would those things ever be included in a blessed life? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on that, but we all have thoughts right now. Uh, I want you to stretch your hearts, stretch your minds today, Because what we're going to do is we're going to let Jesus give us his opinion of what a blessed life looks like. And then it'll be our choice to perhaps expand our thoughts on this, maybe adjust our feelings about whether we're blessed or not or what it means to be blessed. But we're in a series called The Paradoxes of Life. And a paradox, just to run by you again, a paradox is something that is true, even though on the surface it looks almost absurd. It looks contradictory. It doesn't look true, but it actually is true. And what I said last week, I'll say again this week, probably every week, is that the reason spiritual reality is paradoxical often to us is because we just don't know how much we don't know. (laughs) We think we know more than we do know, and we don't know how much we don't know. And then we also don't know how much Jesus does know about everything he is the ultimate expert on everything he is the creator of the universe the creator of the atom everything in it he knows more about our jobs he knows more about our relationships he knows more about our health he knows more about everything sometimes spiritual truth seems paradoxical contrary absurd to us because we don't know how much we don't know and we don't know how much he does know all right so let's look at today's paradox 
Today's paradox comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. This is part of what we know uh, as the Sermon on the Mount. And this word blessed, it comes up nine times in nine verses on the, in the Sermon on the Mount. We're just going to fixate on this one today. Here's Jesus talking, his first big message to a group of people. He said, blessed are those who, what is the word? Mourn. That wouldn't have been on the list that the thousand people came up with. If you, really, if you want to really find a blessed person, find somebody that's mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, the first thing we have to do is kind of get our head around this word blessed, uh, how it's used in Scripture, what it really means, what it doesn't mean. Uh, I see some modern translations that when they do this portion of Scripture, Matthew 5, 3 through 12, called this, uh, the, the Beatitudes, they will translate the word to happy. It's really unfortunate. It's really an unfortunate translation. That's not what they're teaching. Let, let me go on and give you some, some clarity on this. The Greek word that is used there, it's makarios. And that's the word for blessed. It's most often translated blessed. Once or twice it's translated fortunate, which is kind of closer in some cases. It's an adjective. It's describing a condition, okay? It's describing a spiritual or inner condition to be what? To be desired. So here's what we're looking at here. It's Jesus looking at certain human beings, and he's saying, that's a blessed person. And they're mourning. They are, they are in what we might consider one of the most difficult seasons in life. They have lost something. They are grieving. They are mourning. And Jesus looks at them, and he says, that's a blessed person. In other words, let me put it in everyday vernacular. Jesus is saying, that, that's a person that's in a great position in life. That, that's a person that's really got it going on. Uh, that, that's a person, catch this part, that's actually in touch with reality. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's saying to be in touch with reality, to see things the way that God sees them, to react to them the way that God does, that's a blessed person. He, he kind of steers it away from the exterior circumstances and he turns it toward the inward circumstances. And on his list of those that are blessed are those that are rejected and persecuted and humiliated and slandered and insulted. They're all on the list. If you read it on your own, Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12, uh, typically called the Beatitudes. Now, I'm going to say a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount because that's part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And there's been so much... Uh, well meant but but uh, misleading teaching on what the sermon on the mount is about some teach for example on these what we call the beatitudes that they are virtues that those that are going to be a part of christ's kingdom need to to work on to develop it's not what it's teaching there, there are others that teach that these are conditions the beatitudes and the sermon on the mount are the conditions that we must fulfill in order to have our sins forgiven and to be gain entrance into god's kingdom and have eternal life it's not what it's all about uh, others teach that the beatitudes are kind of like jesus was being the new moses and so he was instead of giving the ten commandments he's giving his own commandments for his new kingdom it's not what the sermon on the mount is about to really understand the sermon on the mount you have to understand the culture, the, the situation that Jesus found himself in. 
Let's consider something. Here's a group of people that for 1,500 years, the Jews, I mean, they were looking for the Christ, the Messiah. The Christ, the Messiah is now present. He's there. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. They've been waiting for for 1,500 years. If you follow the story, after three and a half years of presenting himself, offering himself, doing more good than anyone has ever done before, they not only don't recognize him, they don't like him. Now we know the rest of the story. We know that Jesus wasn't just the Christ, the Messiah. He was also, he was the creator of the universe. He was God showing up in a body of flesh. So here's the picture. The Jews had so drifted from the truth about God and the truth about life contained in their scripture. They had so warped the content of the teaching. The teachers of Jesus' day who became his enemies, became his persecutors, instigated his crucifixion. They had drifted so far from God and their teaching was so corrupted and so pervasive that when God himself showed up, they hated him you got to let this sink in. The, the ones that were the representatives of God, the ones that were teaching all the people, the ones that had access to the Scripture and were filling their minds with it, had most of the Old Testament memorized, they had so corrupted what they were accessing and then dispensing to everybody else that when God himself showed up, Jesus is God, they didn't recognize him. And they, the ones that did recognize him at all they hated him so the sermon on the mount is jesus giving an expose on the corrupt condition of the religion of his day it was jesus saying making a statement this is not the truth about god this is not the truth about life this is not what it looks like to be a spiritual person, a member of God's kingdom, one that is truly united and related to God. And when you go through the Sermon on the Mount with that light, with that lens, you will see Jesus keeps pointing at that's what real trust in God looks like. That's what, what really connecting with God looks like and shows itself as you're not doing things to be seen of men, you're doing things to be seen of God, and on and on it goes. When you go through the Sermon on the Mount with that lens, you understand what it is and what it is not saying. So, that's just a little aside, okay? So we're going to focus in today, though, on this next phrase. <laughs> Blessed are those who mourn. Now, we all understand mourning. Uh, every one of us in this room has mourned for something. You can, you can watch even a little child mourn. A little child breaks their toy, and they burst into tears. They experience mourning pretty early on. Mourning is connected to loss. Most of us in here have had far greater losses than just a toy. And we could tell our stories, and each of us has known what it is to have our hearts broken, our hearts ripped, uh, to feel like we'll never be the same again. Life will never be the same again. To have a gaping hole in our heart. That's what Jesus is talking about. But, but he says, the ones that feel this way, they're blessed they're, they're in a good spiritual condition. A condition, really what it means, bless Macarius, a condition to be envied. Jesus is giving his estimation, and to contrast it, there were many of the religious leaders in Jesus' day that were quite wealthy, quite, quite well-to-do, had good circumstances, were popular, were influential, were talented, were gifted, were intelligent, and I could go on down the line, and Jesus isn't pointing at any of them and saying that they're blessed. He said, no, no, the person that's mourning is blessed. Now, that's a little perplexing because we know that mourning 
is an uncomfortable emotional state to be in. So why, why would Jesus say that that's what it means to be blessed? Well, here's what it's all about. It's because of this. It's because of their penetrating discernment. Jesus saw what no one else was able to see. Those that were mourning, Jesus knew they get it. They get it. They, they, they see what's happening. They, they see the truth about God, and they see the truth about life. They're attuned to reality. That's what Jesus was saying. He, he was praising them, saying they're to be envied because of their penetrating discernment. They, they haven't been lost from the fact that life is not the way that God intended it to be, that life is at its root absolutely tragic. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we need to go around crying all the time, but those that see, those that see God, see his heart, see his original plan and purposes, the way his heart yearns and aches for life to be, can't help but to mourn. I, I mean, you know, does any of us in this room not have locks, locks on our doors, locks on our cars, like, can I just see anybody you just leave everything you have unlocked you, you drive into any big city in America and just leave your car unlocked uh, possessions in it valuable possessions anybody no we, we know better we live in a world that is full of danger we live in a world but we, we just kind of we, we're immersed in it we're like the fish in the water we don't even we don't even in some cases know it anymore we accept abnormality because we have been born into abnormality we, we don't realize how abnormal our circumstances really are now I will say one thing we are living in a, in a season in, in the world a very very dangerous season where we're, we're watching mass psychosis take place we, we are watching the world I mean the whole globe just, just go off the precipice into absurdity when, when, you, when you are actually not able to have a conversation with people today concerning if a little boy is born with male sexual organs or a little girl is born with, with female sexual organs, we're not really able to have a safe conversation and say, that's a little boy, that's a little girl. No, no, no. We, 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 the conversation would be steered toward, no, you have to let them decide. That's, that's for them to decide if they're a little boy or a little girl. That's crazy. Folks, be courageous we have to call absurdity and craziness what it is go through all of human history this has never been a question so we are living in a time unprecedented in its absurdity mass psychosis the world is colluding agreeing together to embrace this kind of absurdity the people of God we're to be people that are bastions of the truth communicators of the truth about God and the truth about life we cannot shrink back from these arguments be courageous Christian and you call a boy a boy and you call a girl a girl and refuse to call anybody anything other now yeah thank you and I know it's scary and I know I know it's easy to be misunderstood and to be thought to be a bigot and a hater and all those things do things as wise and as gentle as you can now I want to say a word to teachers because I, I teachers you're, you're in the line of fire I'm drifting just a little bit in this message you you have a very difficult you know tightrope to walk because frankly I know that some of you you're, you're highly devoted to Christ and to truth 
and you want to be a blessing. You went into your career because you, you really considered it a calling. You want to be a blessing to these kids. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in the absurd condition that you will lose your job unless you call a kid by some bizarre pronoun that they choose for themselves that is obviously not true. We, we are being compelled to enter into the, the, the insanity, the absurdity of some cultural ideologues. And so you as a teacher, you have this, this situation where unless you do call the kid whatever the kid wants to be called, you could lose your job. You've got to get along with God and you've got to figure out how to maneuver through that, how, how to handle that. Some of you will come to the conclusion, I can't do this. I can't affirm something that is not true. That is not what God would have me to do. And you will, you will literally have to leave your career. And, and I mourn for you. Others of you will choose to be somewhat like Daniel. Daniel served in Babylon. He served God, but he served God in Babylon. And he used his position to do all the good that he could. And so you may have to work it out between yourself and God. Use the pronouns they require of you to keep your job, but still be a force for righteousness. That's a hard thing to do, but I think it's, it's possible. So, so I, I, I don't want to put teachers in a terrible place, although you are in a terrible place against your will. All right, penetrating discernment. It, it is about seeing the real conditions of our world compared to the heart of God, the mind of God, the plan of God, the original purposes of God. Jesus says, blessed are you that mourn because you see what's going on. You see what's happened to us. You, you see the tragedy of our brokenness, even the best of us. That, that's what this is about. Let me share some scripture with you. This is from the book of Ecclesiastes written by Solomon. Solomon is going through a time in his life where he literally is backsliding away from God, but he's also trying to analytically look at life and figure out what, what is it really truly all about. He comes to conclusions at the end of the book. He concludes in chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. He says, Here, here's what life is all about. Life is all about doing the will of God because God will certainly hold every one of us account for the life that he's given to us that's how he concludes the book but he goes through this search and anyway in Ecclesiastes 7 2 he says it's better to go to a house of what mourning that's like man that doesn't sound fun <clears throat> it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting why Solomon why house of feasting you know everybody's laughing everything is light and breezy for death is the destiny of everyone the living should do what take this to heart solomon is talking a lot like jesus jesus is saying blessed are those who mourn jesus is aware they're, they're attuned to reality they're, they're seeing things as they are compared to the way god intended them to be they see the absurdity they see the cruelty they see the heartbreak they see the the daily grind and Solomon is saying, listen, it's better to go to a house of mourning because death is the destiny of every human being and we should take it to heart. What does he mean by take it to heart? He's saying, look at the end if you want to live from the beginning as wisely as possible. If you want to establish a trustworthy value system, Solomon says, you better think about you're going to die and you're going to stand before God to account for how you've handled the time and the talents and the treasure that he's entrusted to you essentially is what Solomon's saying he's saying you better look at the end from the beginning if you want to live wisely and so you go into the house of mourning it puts you into a very serious frame of mind and life is serious it's not cheery all the time 
you know and I know when you go to a funeral there is a different frame of mind uh, I, I'm going to say something I hope this doesn't offend any of you guys I, I don't I'm probably going to offend people um, <laughs> I don't I don't do weddings anymore I used to you know do all the wedding funerals everything when the church was small but I was just growing it growing up passed it on to other people I don't do weddings anymore once once in a while I will still do a funeral now here, here's what I was leading up to it might offend you I would rather do a funeral than a wedding and here's why at a funeral people are of a serious mind and they tend to be more open to truth about God and truth about life than at any other time you go to a wedding man it's 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 there's no reality there it's it's just not, there's no reality you know it's just so you know I, anyway so, so that's a little little aside but that's what Solomon was talking about let me share a couple more from Solomon Ecclesiastes 4 he says I looked and I saw how much people were suffering on this earth I saw the tears of those who were suffering Solomon is grasping reality he's saying do you realize what goes on day in and day out I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you something and it's gonna be a little embarrassing but how many of you in this past month have cried can I see your hands yeah I'm going to show you at the end of this message there, there's a day coming when there's never going to be tears anymore even when we have joy evidently we won't you know hemorrhage from the eyes with water we'll, we'll express in a different way that's an abnormal set of circumstances Solomon's saying do you realize how hard life is every single day for most people even the ones that we look up to and think they have it easy breezy Solomon's looking at life with reality Jesus is saying blessed are those who mourn you look at reality you look at how hard life is I'm not going to do this but I could ask you to raise your hands if you would consider your life has been hard or harder than you thought it would be this past year and I bet a lot of hands would go up it's just it's just the reality we're living in a world where there's sin sorrow sickness pain and death it's a it's a world where God's will is not done by everyone all the time inevitably it's going to be a world that has what Solomon saw a world of suffering he goes on so I hated life I hate Solomon is seeing he he's right we shouldn't just be wonderfully ecstatic about life as it is in the world today if we have it is indicative that some of our capacities our, our God-given capacities for spiritual awareness have been either desensitized damaged or they're altogether dead and dormant but because the world is not the way it should be some people's lives are, are extraordinarily difficult extraordinarily unfair so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me all of it was meaningless a chasing after the wind let me share one more verse from the New Testament with you Romans 12 2 it says don't be like the people of this world but let God change the way you what Jesus says blessed are those that mourn because they have let God change the way they think they are seeing things as they are they are not looking at the world through kind of a glazed over foggy lens and Jesus says when you're seeing when you're seeing things as they are you're you're going to be much more likely to recognize man we need God 
We, we need a savior. We need a rescuer. We need a guide. We need a guard. We need a protector of our souls. We need a lover of our souls. When you see, we're more likely to seek God, draw near to him, depend on him when we see the truth about life. Now, there is an inevitable danger that we have as human beings. And I'm going to run you through three principles here. First of all, there's the danger of deception. The reason that we don't mourn sometimes sufficiently, and I'm not saying we should go around all the time, you know, mourning and crying and tears, but, but there's an inner attitude, is because of appeasement-based religion. Uh, in Jesus' day, it was pervasive. This is why he gave the Sermon on the Mount. I said that before, to contrast it, to contradict it. Appeasement-based religion is still highly practiced in our world today. You take any world religion, they're all appeasement-based religions. You, you take um, you know, Hinduism, appeasement-based religion. Uh, Islam, appeasement-based religion. Judaism, appeasement-based religion. Many that go to churches and call themselves Christians are actually practicing an appeasement-based religion. Randy, what do you, you keep saying that word. What, what do you mean appeasement-based religion? An appeasement-based religion, to just simplify it, is I'm doing certain things because I think if I do those things, God is obligated to do some things for me. It's not that I like God. It's not that I'm interested in him. It's not that I really want anything to do with him, but he's an inevitability. He's there, so I have to deal with him, and I know he's all-powerful. I know he can just snuff out my life, and so I want to figure out what I need to do, just the rules, the minimum rules. I want to find out what are the minimum things, the minimum requirements what do I need to do to get him off my back and on my side working for me I want his stuff I want to use his power to get me stuff that I want I want him to bless my life bless my business bless my relationships bless my health bless my wealth on and on and go. I, want, I want to appease him I want to figure what do I have to do do I have to say a prayer do I have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca what, what do I have to do it's appeasement based no desire for an authentic relationship with God which, by the way, the whole Bible, the whole Bible is not about religion. The whole Bible is about the creator of the universe, the creator of our souls, the one that knows us best, loves us most, wanting to relate to us authentically. He wants us to trust him so that he can lead us into the kind of life we were meant to lead, that we can lead, live the way that God himself lives. It's the only way that, that will work in a universe forever and to love the way that God himself loves and this life is meant to be a developmental relational journey the whole Bible is about relationship with the creator it is not about religion we, we as Christians you know we get tangled up in this too we, we think like okay so alright I know that God wants us I know he wants us to read the Bible so I'm going to read that Bible every day and we read it dutifully every day I know God wants us to go to church I'm going I'm never going to miss a Sunday I'm going to church every Sunday so we don't miss a Sunday now those are both very good things but if we're doing them for the wrong reason with the wrong motivation they're no good at all this is still not clear to you let, let, let me give you let me give you something this this will hopefully make it clear two twins let, let's let's think about there were two twins they grow up in a let's call it a Christian household each twin 
man they are good good boys they they do exactly what their parents tell them to do they don't do what their parents tell them don't do they they live by the rules man they 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 go to church they they read the bible they study the bible they're in the youth group they're you know as they grow up they, the other other families look and say man you guys you did such a great job raising those kids they are all together they are great boys they, they are wonderful godly boys then they leave home one of them one of them continues exactly the same he's in the word of God the word of God is in him he's living a godly life even though he's involved or or immersed in an environment that's no longer godly and safe as was his home but he is still living the same why because he actually had come to trust God he believed that God's way is the only way. He embraced his truth. He liked God, and he wanted to be like God. He believed that that was the wisest, most rational, intelligent thing that a human being could do. Now, the other boy, the other twin, he went wild, man. He started partying. He started drinking. He started doing drugs. He's having sex with everybody he can. He's just running wild. Why? because all that time he was doing what he was doing based on an appeasement structure he wanted to have his parents favor he wanted the opinions of certain people to be favorable toward him he wanted to get things that were were desirable to him and the way to get them was to be this obedient sort of christian looking person but he never really connected with god he never liked god he never trusted christ he never it was just rule keeping it was game playing it was appeasement i'm going to do this because it gets me what i want appeasement based religion is deception it's based on satanic slander of god you know he he said god's this power monger who is keeping us down depriving us of the joys that we could have and the result is an appeasement based religion it's like okay he's big he's powerful he's going to judge me how can i just stay within the boundaries i want to do the bare minimum just to keep him off my back and get him on my side and christians people that, that, that go to church every sunday can do the same thing look god look i'm in, I'm in church i'm doing my duty I'm showing my respect for you. You gotta bless me now. Oh, look, look, God, I'm I'm reading your word. Now it's good to do these things, but but they're useless unless we do them for the right reasons. If we're deceived in appeasement-based religion, we won't be those that mourn because we won't even see the truth about life. The second thing distraction there are people that don't mourn about the condition of life in the world today because they are it's absorption in unexamined living there there are so many of us we let me me, so i don't make everybody mad we all have the capacity and the tendency to do this we have the capacity and tendency to just get so involved in life man life is busy you got there's things you got to do you just got to do them and you just keep doing 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 and you're going faster and faster and faster and you don't you don't take time i'm not going to say have time we don't tend to take time to pause and say what am i doing why am i living this way who am i where did i come from what does make sense where did everything come from why do we do what we do how we do it there's a time for reflection there's a time for not just living but asking ourselves why am i living this way 
And so this is the second reason why people don't mourn because they, they're, they're too busy. You know, if you're just watching ESPN and the comedy station all the time, it could be declared on the news stations that World War III has broken out, but you'll be laughing because you're watching the comedy station. Or you're talking about the, the, the draft, the NFL draft. How many saw the draft? Some of it. First round, okay. <laughs> um, distraction. The third one is this. And this is the, the real sinister one, the, the reason we don't mourn sufficiently adaptation to abnormality adaptation is this ability this wonderful and horrible ability that we humans have we can we can adapt to things rather quickly they jolt us and we're like oh i don't i don't like that but then we start rolling with the punches and the next thing you know what was once a jolt we're, we're just it's everyday life it's no, you know you got a big big crack in the plaster in your ceiling you first see it like oh my goodness we must have a water leak but then you see no it's no water leak and five years go by you cracks getting bigger every day you're, whatever you know. other people come in like oh my goodness your ceiling's falling down you know <laughs> adaptability it's it's wonderful in that one of the things we're called to do in this life scripture says is is to learn to be content in any and every situation as we cling to christ hold for his promises for the future we have to learn experientially to be content adaptability the ability to adapt to situations helps in that but it's terrible when we adapt to things that we should we should be jolted by that we should be sickened by that, that, that are abhorrent and terrible that's happening on a massive scale right now in the world things that we should be saying wait a minute that's absolutely insane we're not, i'm not accepting that i'm never going to roll with that i'm never going to keep my mouth shut about that we're being pushed and shoved and threatened more and more to just sit silent about and adapt and it's not, a, it's not something that we can't do. We, we can really quickly adapt when we should never adapt. So the reason that some of us don't mourn is because we've been desensitized. We have adapted to the abnormality. Like, I'm going to tell you, man, when you've got, you got people that are sick and diseased and dying and suffering and having tragic accidents, that's abnormal when you have war and crime and disease and death that's abnormal when you have abandonment and when you have broken hearts and broken families and broken bodies and broken minds and addiction and I could just go on down the list heartbreak when you have rejection and when you have prejudice and hatred and cruelty that's abnormal and, and we need to stay sensitized to the fact this isn't the way life is meant to be this isn't this isn't normal this is something to mourn about to grieve about at least periodically to stay sensitized to because if not we'll, we'll just go along blase as though this is totally okay yeah neighbor's neighbor's house got broken in and yeah they they beat one of their kids up in the process but ah, the kids live you know we just roll it's just so normal oh yeah there was another shooting today Four, four or five kids got killed but at least police got there in time to stop it from killing 20 or 30 I mean this, this is how we start to think how, how, how many we have to acknowledge we live in a world where there's so many bad things that we're bombarded by you can't help but to be a little desensitized I'm going to acknowledge I'm a little desensitized I mean it's just that we have this avalanche 
And Jesus is saying the ones that stay sensitized, that, that are mourning, and it doesn't mean that you go around depressed. They got it going on, Jesus said. They are blessed because they see reality and they refuse to tune it out. So these are the things we have to be careful for. Now, Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn for they will be, can somebody fill it in? Comforted. So Jesus is also saying you're blessed when you're mourning because the pain that you feel now, you're someday not going to feel. You're going to be comforted. So we have a promised destiny. Jesus says the mourners have a destiny that's promised to them by God. Let's look at that, a promised destiny. So they're, they're blessed because of their promised destiny. Let me share with you a verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul, who had been through lots of difficulties in his life, he says, Pray be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all, what is the word? Comfort. Mourners yearn for comfort. Who comforts us in all our, what's the word? Troubles. Now, you and I meet people that do not feel this. They, they will say, I don't believe that God's helping me at all they'll they'll even say things to us like where's God where's God I am suffering I'm going through I'm hanging on by a thread my whole family is is about to explode we're we're all suffering where is God where is he he's not comforting us but this verse says specifically he does comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so this becomes kind of a a problem because you know the comfort evidently is offered by God but it seems pretty clear that not all of us are receiving the comfort Let let me say it another way no matter how much God wants to comfort me if I don't go to God for his comfort I'm not going to experience his comfort it's uncomfortable it's unco- I'd rather go to 50 people and tell them how, how I'm in trouble even though they can't really do anything for me than to go to God you go to God you've got to get alone with God you've got to get alone with yourself you feel helpless you feel humble you feel like am I just talking to the air because I can't see him and, and, and you start pouring out your heart and you're, you're thinking to yourself maybe I don't see how this is going to help anything but here's what I know having done it for multitudes of years now decades when you go to God and you seek his comfort he actually shows up big and strong and wonderful and there and caring and sympathetic and compassionate and you feel it it connects with you on an inward level that no human can connect with you with he he comforts us he often comforts us with other people the rest of the verse alludes to that who comforts us in all our troubles so Jesus said blessed are those in mourn because they will be comforted God's ready to comfort us so that he comforts us in all our troubles why why God so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have ourselves received from God what this is saying is this once I go through the hard time and I receive God's comfort experientially and I know what it is and I know I can count on it I am now equipped to comfort others that are going through similar trouble to the kind that I went through. Blessed are those who mourn, says Jesus, they will be comforted. Sometimes we're comforted efficiently. Let me rephrase that. 
we will all be comforted right now in this life efficiently, sufficiently, if we go to God and God's people for comfort. I didn't, I didn't say it wouldn't still hurt. We, we have to get, get this, this out of our minds that painless living is the best living. It, it, it's not in this world necessarily. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn. But we can get comfort from God and comfort from God's people. It will be sufficient comfort for now. I'm not saying it takes all the sting away, all the grief. Hence, we mourn. But it's enough. More importantly, the pain, the suffering, the mourning, it gives us an opportunity, unique opportunity. If I were to go to you guys and I was to ask you a question, say, uh, how many of you in here, you would just love to be somebody, kind of, kind of a go-to person, that, that people that are suffering or, or you know, having difficulty inwardly or having trouble in their lives, that you would like to be a person that you're, you're sufficient. They could go to you and you'd always be able to comfort them I I would like to be that person you're thinking that could always really make a difference in somebody's life comfort them how many would want to be that person can I see your hands lots of hands do you realize that this verse is telling us exactly how to do that the only way that I can be sure that I'm going to be able to comfort somebody is I have to have gone through the problem that they are going through in advance. I've gone through and I've clung to God and I have found healing, comfort sufficient to sustain me through God. Now I have had a classroom. God has taught me in his own class. He has equipped me. I have expertise, experiential expertise to comfort somebody else with the same problem. I, I, I'm going to just give you an example. How many of you have ever had a, a major plumbing problem in the past year in your house? Can I see your hands? Yeah, me too. When you have a plumbing problem, or I have a plumbing problem, who do we want to show up? Do we want the best, the best neurosurgeon in the world? <laughs> Not me. I want the guy whose hands are still a little dirty. Who maybe when he bends down, things appear that shouldn't. <laughs> but he knows what he's doing. He's got experience. This passage is teaching us that if we want to be comforters, our own sufferings, our own troubles become the classroom by which God educates us, equips us, that we can be sufficient comforters of others. When you and I are, are going through it, we want to we talk to somebody who's also gone through what we've gone through. Because why? We know they know what it feels like to be us. They know that they're, we know that they're going to be humble. They're going to be considerate. They're going to be kind. They're going to be compassionate. They're going to be realistic in the way they try to help us take a step. Because they know the pain. When the person knows nothing of the pain, they can't speak to your pain or my pain. True? Is this true? I mean, you, you, you could say amen if you want to there. <laughs> okay. So this passage is saying, we can be comforted by God, should be comforted by God, and when we are, we are now equipped to comfort someone else sufficiently. So blessed are those that mourn because they will be comforted. They'll be comforted sufficiently if they will access God in this life but more importantly they'll be ultimately comforted uh, perfectly forevermore 
Let me share this verse with you that I often share because I love it. I love it. This, this, this is where life is heading. No matter how bad it is, this life has a short shelf life. The pain is going to end. God is in control. Good is coming, and the good is going to so far outweigh the bad that we're, we're going to just think that the worst situations we had in this life were inconsequential compared to the goodness that awaits us and the fact that it's eternal. Here we have Revelation 21 where judgment has now ended. And God is now creating a new heaven and a new earth. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. We're talking eye to eye, face to face. We'll, we'll see him. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. It goes on. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or, our subject today, mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away so here we have God's promise to bring uh, the end of mourning not just for a little while but forever God is allowing the pain of mourning he's allowing evil as I often say a little while that he can abolish it forever we we will be immunized we that have experienced evil we we will see it for what it is and we'll never be tempted to distrust God, break trust with him, disobey him again. So God's allowing suffering for a time so that he can abolish it forever. So here's where we, we come to. He promises to comfort us sufficiently now, 2 Corinthians 1, but he also promises to comfort us entirely forever. We live on hope, whether we think about it every day or not. You, you know, how, how many of you you know you're going to get a paycheck how many of you got a paycheck coming can I see your hands so you're, you're living on the hope that you don't really know that <laughs> but you hope <laughs> we, we, we live on hope we have to take these promises of God and say wait a minute wait a minute the one that gives these promises he lived he loved he died on a cross and he rose from the grave and because he rose from the grave and there is compelling evidences that it is so we can count on his promises just as you count on your check more than you count on your check can we count on the promises of God when you live with hope it elevates you inwardly it strengthens you and you can mourn and still have the peace of God, the love of God, the joy of God, the hope of God in your soul. When Jesus looked and he said, blessed are those that mourn, he didn't mean that they're going around depressed. He meant they see life as God sees it. They are in touch with reality and they're responding the way that God himself is responding in this present age. Make no mistake, God grieves and mourns when he sees what we do to ourselves and what we do to each other but he also is full of joy because he knows how this will end he doesn't overwhelm anybody's will but he has promised he has promised and he will see to it that it ends where entirely our suffering will, will be abolished so let's ask some questions as we close out level one morning how are we doing at level one morning? Do, do we sufficiently feel and are we sufficiently aware of the absurdity and the abnormality of life today? Or does it go right over our head because maybe we've been deceived and we're, we're involved in some kind of a, you know, appeasement-based religiosity? 
or, or, or maybe you know we've been desensitized because we've just adapted to the abnormality and we think oh yeah it's just the way the world goes you know and so we don't feel it anymore we, we don't mourn because we don't even know it exists or maybe we're so absorbed in living I, I gotta do this I gotta do that I gotta get the other that we're so busy with life we don't ask the questions what is life about what's, what's happening here on planet earth how are we doing are we sufficiently mourning because Jesus said see that person over there they're blessed because they get it they see it they're attuned with God they're attuned with reality would he say that about us level two mourning level two mourning is when you and I are the ones that are experiencing major circumstantial pain uh, we are the ones that need God's comfort it's, it's in our face it's, it's heart wrenching when we have that level two mourning, how are we handling that? Are, are, are we going to the comforter? He wants to comfort us. Randy, you mean, does he take all the pain away? No. Does he make my circumstances easy breezy again, the way that I want them? No. I wish I could tell you that. No. But I can tell you experientially this. He sufficiently comforts us to get us through, to sustain us, to keep us faithful, to keep us godly, to keep us tender-hearted and not bitter and angry and unapproachable. Hard times can make you like that. You know that. So, so how are we doing with level two mourning? Are we accessing God's comfort? Second question, are we taking our experiences and making ourselves available to be a comforter to others that are going through the same thing. I'm going to tell you, some of you have done this, and I know it. It's one of the greatest blessings in life. Take your heartbreak. Take your tragedy. Take your pain. It's your laboratory or your God-given laboratory for learning. It is your, your expertise, and, and give this to someone else. They'll know that you know the language of their soul. They'll know that someone else doesn't know the language, but you do. And they'll receive from you what they can't receive from someone that hasn't been through what you've been through. Our brokenness becomes others' blessedness if we're willing, if we're just willing to take our mourning as a blessing because that mourning is preparing us, it's equipping us, it's opening doors for us if we want them to be open. So how are we doing with level two mourning as we sit here today? How many of you want to walk through these doors and have Jesus look in your heart and say, that's, that's one of my blessed ones. They know how to mourn. They see it for what it is. And they're readying themselves to be my comforters to others that mourn. How many of you want to walk through the doors in that condition? I'm I actually asking. I'm going to see your hands. That's the gift of God that he wants each of us to partake of this very day we got to remember we got to internalize this stuff we got to apply it let's pray father you see the, the the wonderful beautiful willing hearts of your people we really want to be sensitized to reality to the truth we want to see what you see and feel what you see feel what you feel and we want to be comforters of your comfort to others may your spirit enable that to be so in each and every one of our lives we ask it all in christ's name amen